Hello, welcome to our third session on this topic of holiness that we're following in this series. And at this session, we're going to look at the human person as the subject of holiness. In other words, the human being is the one who can become holy, not the animals or plants or any other kind of creature, even though they may be wonderful, but we've never canonized. I don't think we ever will. A dog or a cow or a horse, they are not capable of holiness. The human being is uniquely capable of holiness. So in this session, we're going to look at what is it about you and me that makes that possible, that makes this strange thing, which we're looking at called holiness, possible in you and me. How is it, what is it about us that makes it possible for us to be really elevated or transformed into the kind of creature who is essentially a child of God? Well, the very first thing is that when we look at Scripture, as we, we are beginning off in our, each of these sessions, looking at what, what does it say in sacred Scripture? But one of the things is Scripture isn't, uh, it's not a book of anthropology or a book of psychology. It is a book with a religious message, but it does teach us things about the human being. And from the very beginning, the very outset of sacred Scripture in the book of Genesis, it teaches us two extremely important things about each and every human being. And the very first one is that Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. Remember in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. He does not say that about any of the other creatures that he makes. Man is uniquely, man or woman that is, of course, made in the image and likeness of God. Ultimately, that means that you and I, all human beings, are capable of entering into communion with God and with other persons. That's the very first thing. And the second thing that Genesis teaches us very clearly, when it says the following, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. What that shows us is that every human being is this unique combination of dust and breath, of a body and spirit. Whereas, take our animals, there is no... Certainly breath from God in the, the animal. The animal is more or less just dust, the dust of the earth. They come from that and they go back to that. You and I have dust, sure, a body, but it has been breathed into by God himself. And this is the spirit, of course. So we are a unique unity of body and soul. And in this, and it's, very, it's kind of portrayed there in the formation of, of Adam and Eve, is that our body and soul strictly speaking, are not two completely separate things. The very complex uh, notion. But there is a kind of idea that, especially very strong with the Greek philosopher called Plato, is that the body and the soul are really kind of yoked together. And they're two very different things, even at war with each other. And they don't belong together. And the sooner the soul gets out of the body, the better, almost. Whereas the church teaching is very different. The body and soul are not two very separate things. They work together, should work together. They don't always work together, but they are this unique unity of body and soul. One teaching, of course, and that's in there in Sacred Scripture, is the resurrection. The body is not thrown away like a, a used container after we finish this life on earth, never to be seen again. We are reunited for all eternity with our body. Very important. In the development of theology then throughout the years, it started off a little bit platonic. 
St. Augustine was very influenced by Plato's view of the human being as a soul in a body. He wasn't as what we call dualistic as Plato, but he still does see in some way the body is something the soul is using. It is up to St. Thomas Aquinas, nearly a thousand years later, who really shows in a, in a very strong way that man, really women, is this unity of body and soul together forming one thing. All this is very important. It makes a big difference to our faith, whether we approach it in a too platonic fashion. St. Paul, for example, had problems with the Corinthians because they were too platonic. He said to them, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? So the Corinthians were kind of maybe they were also very platonic. And they really thought was that we were finished with the body. We were finished for good. And St. Paul is saying, no, the body's coming back. In the last century, in the 20th century, there was a great flourishing, a philosophy called personalism. Not always Catholics. There was Jews like Martin Buber. And it was a very strong affirmation of the dignity of the human person, body and soul. And very famously, this personalism gives rise to St. John Paul II's theology of the body, where he shows very nicely that the relationship of a man and woman has a likeness to the union of the divine persons and the blessed trinity. It's very strong. And also, he affirms very strongly that we, men and women, are social beings by nature. We need other people without whom we cannot flourish. Now then very quickly, applying this to our relationship with God, we have this particular capacity to enter into relationship with one another, but also with God, to become, as it says, as St. Peter says, partakers of the divine nature, participating in divine nature. It's very strong. We see it in sacred scripture. God in Jesus teaches us the Our Father. Call God your Father. St. Paul speaks about us becoming children of God by adoption. We're adopted children of God. And St. John, even though he doesn't use the word adoption, he says, remember very famously in his first letter, that, that lovely line, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we really are children of God now and then in the next life fully. This transformation into children of God takes place through what we call sanctifying grace, almost like the sap in a tree, sanctifying grace coming from God and transforming the human person into a child of God. So not just making the person behave better, do certain things, but rather really transform their nature, give them a second nature, a new kind of life. And that is the life of a child of God, where we are participating in the sonship of the son. We are sons in the son. In other words, becoming incorporated into Jesus, into Christ, the son of God par excellence. We then become sons in the son. And that is the work of what we call sanctifying grace. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My mother immaculate, Saint Joseph, my father and lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.